for listening to CND's weekly podcast. I'm Features Editor Thomas Cox. Community pharmacy is a structure that leads to biased racial outcomes, although it doesn't have many racist individuals, I heard from Mohamed Hussein this week. Mohamed has a portfolio career that has seen him rise to become a fellow of the RPS and senior clinical lead at NHS Digital, among other roles, although the views expressed here represent only his own. Mohamed has been one of the most vocal individuals in the conversation around black, Asian and ethnic minority issues in pharmacy that followed the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement in recent months. I spoke to him about the poor representation of black people at senior levels in pharmacy, the ethnicity pay gap, and how we can tackle racial bias. What are the key areas of racial inequality you'd like to see addressed in community pharmacy? For me, I think one of the, one of the key issues is actually identifying the problem. Uh, it's actually listing and documenting and defining all the issues in one place. And I think that's the bit that we've really missed because unless we can start defining what it is we're talking about and what we see as our challenges and grouping them all together in a structured way, then it's really difficult to address that problem. Uh, uh, I mean, I would quote, um, there's a, a famous uh, American author, civil rights activist, James Baldwin. Uh, so, if you, so if you imagine a, gla- a, a um, gay black man in, in America in the 60s, um, and he had, an, he had an extraordinary life, and, and one of the things that he said in terms of dealing with issues around inequality was that not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I think that's the fundamental point that I have in, in terms of addressing the issues around inequality uh, in community pharmacy and, and pharmacy um, more broadly. If you wanted me to try and list some of those, it's probably not a comprehensive list, but it's a list uh, uh, that that comes to mind. Um, we obviously have the issue around uh, pre-reg pass rates and ethnicity, and that's a really important issue. It's only been kind of uh, um, in 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 debate and in discussion over the last few years. When I was at the GPHC Council, we uh, did some work around this, and when we published the ethnicity data, and what we discovered was that there was a consistent difference in terms of the pass rates based on ethnicity. Um, uh, so if you were um, uh, Chinese, Indian, white uh, ethnicity, then those pass rates for those groups um, were in the 90s, uh, right at the top. And then if you were uh, Pakistani, Bengali, there were slightly less. Um, but if you were black, there were about as half as much as if, if you were white. Uh, um, and, and, and that's a fundamental issue for us in terms of addressing um, inequality, uh, because that's right at the beginning of uh, a pharmacist's career. Uh, I think one of the other key issues is around role models. Uh, they just don't appear to be significant enough role models uh, from uh, the various BAME communities across pharmacy. Uh, and I think we have to be mindful here and really sophisticated in our thinking. Uh, BAME, uh, um, Black, um, Asian, Minority, Ethnic, uh, is not one community, it's not one group. It, it, it's, it's everyone that's not white. Uh, and that's a huge group. It's almost, it's, it's the rest of the world. Um, and it is very different uh, within it. And so I think we have to really be mindful of, of how we um, uh, describe that group. Um, so when I talk about BAME representation, I'm not just talking about Asian representation. And Asian representation is, um, is good. It's not quite as good as, as white representation. But um, black representation uh, is incredibly poor. So if you look at representation in leadership um, positions across uh, the organizations in pharmacy, uh, such as General Pharmaceutical Council, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, PSNC, LPCs, schools of pharmacy, the MPA, then we just don't have uh, 
that black representation. BAME representation is poor, um, although patchy. Uh, and the MPA, for example, is, is, is a majority BAME board, um, interestingly enough, uh, but it, it, it's, it's quite narrow in that BAME um, background. It, it's all South Asian. Um, uh, and, 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 and so that I think these things have impact. We have to have uh, leadership uh, representation and role models uh, um, for future generations of, of, of pharmacists. Um, we also know that uh, factually there are differences because if we looked at the ethnic pay gap data that we recently published um, for the community pharmacy and the various other pharmacy sectors uh, this identified a clear and consistent ethnic pay gap um, across across the sector so in community pharmacies for example if you come from a, a BAME background uh, then on average uh, at the median uh, position if you like in terms of ethnic pay gap uh, that a, a, an ethnic minority uh, pharmacist was seven thousand pounds per annum uh, worse off than their white peers um, and that varies across the different groups uh, if you combine all the sectors of pharmacy together then that gap actually grows to eight and a half eight point three thousand pounds per year uh, um, difference as in the BIM um, professionals are worse off uh, and particularly acute in academia if you look in academia uh, there are very few BAME uh, individuals and role models um, and there the gap is seventeen thousand pounds between um, a white indiv individual and a BAME individual on average. Uh, and that's probably a representation of the fact that there are very few BAME professionals uh, working in academia. Um, and that's a real challenge for us because if you looked at the undergraduate uh, student body, then they are probably overwhelmingly BAME across all the different schools of pharmacy, which is why I actually really welcome the Pharmacy Schools Council's um, recent initiative to address issues of inequality and particularly I liked their um, uh, focus on the fact that the challenges and the structures um, facing um, BAME individuals are different within the BAME communities and uh, they are not the same um, and that's really important for us um, for us to focus on and finally it's probably just worth picking up on um, some, an area that's kind of close to my heart has always been fitness to practice. So if you look at fitness to practice um, data from the GPHC, so these are pharmacists who face some kind of, or pharmacy technicians who face some kind of sanction from the General Pharmaceutical Council. And in there, we've seen a consistent, uh, long-standing uh, um, variation uh, in that um, BAME pharmacists tend to be overrepresented in terms of sanctions and tend to be overrepresented in the uh, most serious uh, sanctions as well. Um, and we have to get to the bottom of, of why these issues occur. And they are systematic. It's not that any one individual is biased or racist. Uh, it's about the structures and the systems that lead to that outcome. And we need to try and understand that better. Thanks, Mohammed. Yeah, some really in interesting points on uh, FTP cases, uh, the ethnic pay gap and pass rates. What are the most common kinds of racial discrimination you're aware of in the sector? I think it's important to recognise that pharmacy doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. It's part of the wider society. And so if you had a look at the uh, government um, uh, race disparity um, audit, uh, and, and, and that really talked about identifying um, the... Uh, the worst outcomes that BAME individuals have in terms of health, in terms of livelihood, in terms of their career progression. Uh, and that's reflected in pharmacy, even though pharmacy uh, is 46, 47% BAME at the moment. And looking at our um, undergraduate pharmacists uh, um, and looking at the mix um, uh, in, the, in the undergraduates, it's going to be a majority BAME profession in the next few years. Uh, and yet those disparities 
um, of, of, of income, of opportunity, of outcome, um, still exist in pharmacy. Uh, and, and, and that's pretty astounding uh, uh, for me. Um, so I talked about um, uh, the pre-reg pass rates, uh, the ethnic pay gap, the representation on boards. And, and it's not just about representation on boards. I think particularly we can lose focus by just focusing on the boards, but it's, it's focusing on the layer beneath that, the senior people in these organizations. How many of them are come from a BAME background? Quite often with, with boards, um, you can appoint people uh, um, um, to a board and they don't need to necessarily have grown up through that organization. And so boards sometimes uh, have a, um, a, um, a mix that isn't representative of the organization uh, um, uh, beneath it, uh, and I think that's something we really need to need to address. Uh, actually, there's, there's something positive in here as well that uh, the RPS uh, published, I think, just last uh, month for the first time, the ethnic pay gap as well as the gender pay gap, and I really welcome that. And I think it's a really important um, action in terms of transparency. Uh, transparency, and I would encourage um, and lobby all of the pharmacy organisations, um, public and private, to willingly, voluntarily. Uh, um, disclose the ethnic pay gap uh, because we should identify if a problem exists and we should then be working to remedy it and this gives us a measure of, of, of working towards that in the same way that we are doing work on the gender pay gap and we need to remember that these two things are not um, wholly distinct uh, we need to take an intersectional approach so imagine if you are a black woman uh, um, these these kind of impacts can be compounded uh, and, and we need to take um, measure of, of all of these various issues. And the final issue around disparity is one around social capital. I think this is a really soft measure. It's very hard to measure it. It's very hard to kind of almost define it. Uh, but it's but it's probably critical to the success of all others. Because what social capital is about is about your networks, the supports, the architecture around you that supports you and encourages you and helps you when you're in difficulty. Uh, I know as an, an Asian um, pharmacist, when I was bullied in my um, pre-reg year, shockingly bullied, um, um, racially harassed, that I was able to connect to uh, lots of other Asian pharmacists who had similar experiences. We could tap into a common experience. We we had means of, of, of addressing it. And I could also go to more senior pharmacists uh, outside the organization I worked in at the time, uh, um, but who were able to give me support. Uh, and when I left my free reg, uh, um, and I never wanted to work for that company again because of my experiences, I was able to go and work somewhere else. Uh, and, and, and I was able to hit those experiences. I was able to move on from them and they were able, I was able to heal them and people understood that they had had an impact on me. Whereas I think if you were black, for example, then the way you experience those, um, uh, those, um, difficult challenges is, is, is more challenging because you don't have necessarily the same social networks uh, um, support within the pharmacy space to help you to really understand your experience. Uh, and, and what I'm saying here is that um, you can experience um, racial um, bias uh, across the BIM communities, but that experience can be different. And also that your support uh, um, networks are different in pharmacy, particularly in community pharmacy, uh, it, you know, in terms of experiencing um, uh, race discrimination in, in, in community, there's more opportunity to talk about it with, with, with other South Asian people who, who may have experienced it. And I just think if you're, if you're a black pre-reg pharmacist, you're incredibly vulnerable. Who do you go to? What's your network? Um, who will understand your experiences? Um, because they may be different. And, and, and that's, this is about social capital. 
this is why we need social capital and I think social capital is something we should be focusing on. Yeah, good to hear that you were able to, to find support uh, during your experience of, of being bullied. You touched on this before with the uh, representation of black pharmacists at, at board level, at executive level in the community pharmacy sector. You said recently that we need to put the black back into BAME. What, does, what do you mean by that exactly? This has been a learning curve for me. Um, I, um, in my career, I've always been an advocate for um, for inclusion and, and, and equality, and, and particularly focusing on, on, on racial um, inequality. And that's born of my own experiences, of things that I've seen and things that I have witnessed. And it's the reason why I um, joined the General Pharmaceutical Council, because I was so concerned about the fitness to practice uh, um, uh, disparity uh, for, for BEM communities. So that's what motivated me to join the GPHC. Um, um, many, many years ago. Um, and I've been on a bit of a journey with it because I always thought that um, we needed all the BAME communities to focus together and, and, and work as, as, as one and have, uh, and, and, and have the same leaders, if you like, uh, uh, to espouse um, the cause for, uh, for racial inequality. I think what I've learned over the last 10 years is that that doesn't quite get us to where we need to get to. Because what tends to happen is um, is that there, if we focus solely on BAME and use it as an umbrella term, then what we're missing beneath that is that there are some communities that are even more excluded and, and that are then almost forgotten. Uh, and I think um, the black communities, particularly in pharmacy, fall into that for me. Uh, and, and what I've seen is that we have had in, in some of the boards um, uh, more and more representation from BAME communities. And by BAME, what they really mean is South Asian, uh, so from India, Pakistan, um, Bangladesh, uh, and we haven't really had representation from um, other communities, such as the Black community, Chinese community, uh, um, and and that's this is masking that. Uh, so if I take, for example, we, we talked a little bit about the MPA board. The MPA board is a majority South Asian board. So you could say it's a BAME board, but there are no other BAME people on that board apart from South Asians. Uh, and and not even South Asians. I think they're all of Indian heritage, um, and I just think that's not representative because that can mislead you to thinking that it's a majority BAME board. It's not. It can't truly reflect experiences um, um, and the voice of all the different BAME communities. Similarly, if I look at the RPS English Pharmacy Board, we have, by my reckoning, uh, three BAME individuals on that board, but they're all of Indian heritage. Uh, um, and they can speak to their own experiences, they can speak uh, to experiences that others have, have shared with them, but they're rooted in a particular uh, experience themselves. And that's not necessarily gives them the, uh, the voice, uh, um, the knowledge of what it's like to be from a different community, such as uh, um, black communities and that black experience. It is different. Uh, that's not to say that different communities don't face um, uh, discrimination, they do, uh, um, but that discrimination can take different uh, um, uh, different uh, shapes. And our, as I said earlier, the social capital is different. Um, so if, if I looked at um, leadership positions um, in terms of South Asians, we've had South Asians, I think there's three on the, on the GPAT board today. There are 10 or more on the MPA board. Um, so there is good, you could say representation in those boards. 
I would caveat my, my words by saying I suspect that beneath that level, the executives, you wouldn't get that representation. Uh, and that goes back to my earlier point about representation needs to also be seen at all levels, including senior executive roles, uh, not just simply at board level. Uh, but if we uh, just then focus on black representation at these boards uh, or, or the executive level, I think it's almost absent. It's hardly there. Uh, there may be one, maybe two exceptions, uh, um, but um, I, honestly, none spring to my mind right now, uh, and I can't think of anyone in that space. And for me, that's really surprising. Uh, and what tends to happen is organisations think they have achieved BAME representation if they've got um, any BAME representative. And what tends to happen is, they, and certainly in pharmacy, they tend to be majority from uh, um, kind of South Asian or Indian heritage particularly. Uh, and we don't tend to see wider representation of the BAME communities. And that was really at the heart of my recent blog about putting the black into BAME uh, um, and, and in the context of pharmacy, that we do need to start hearing these voices. We do need to proactively um, change our structures to have greater uh, black representation and not be satisfied just by ticking the BAME box where it really only means South Asian. This is um, this is a point that uh, a member of the UK Black Farmers Association uh, mentioned mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago. He he's, he said that at an executive level, at all the major multiples in pharmacy, there wasn't a single black person, uh, which isn't isn't particularly encouraging if you're a young black pharmacist starting out in in the sector. When it comes to the different groups within BAME, there's many different many different ethnicities encapsulated by by the by this term do you have any idea how their experience of uh, racial disparities uh, differs between between their groups i guess i have a little bit of an insight uh, and again this goes back to the point that i i can't speak for for, uh, for for all of them i can only speak to my own experience and i can speak to the experiences that have been shared with me through through various networks uh, and i have reached out to uh, black pharmacists, pre-regers, uh, newly qualified pharmacists, uh, more senior black pharmacists that I know from from, from various organisations, uh, uh, who who've been very kind and generous in their time and sharing with me uh, um, their experiences, and they are different. Um, um, they they've 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 experienced racial discrimination. They've experienced uh, gaslighting. They've experienced uh, um, uh, failure of of kind of opportunities of promotions uh, and and not being able to succeed. And interestingly, I I, I heard some feedback uh, only this morning uh, uh, from from one uh, colleague that, that particularly in in hospitals. Now I don't have the evidence uh, to support that. This is one person's experience and and and, and their view uh, um, was that um, for black pharmacies it was particularly difficult to get pre-reg places in hospitals. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping things like Oriel will will try and fix that, but I've not seen the data to support that uh, um, as yet. If you were a black pharmacist, pre-reg, and newly qualified, experiencing challenging situations, who do you go to? How many other people will share your experience of that? Uh, yes, other BAME communities may have experienced, and I have personally experienced um, racism and bias throughout my career. Um, and it's similar, but it's not the same. It's structurally different. Uh, um, and, and I think that's really important for us um, for for us to remember uh, and to highlight because and also the context of the families and the family support behind them can be different um, and, and we have to remember that um, and there is something different within um, particularly around um, some of the BAM communities that we don't really talk about which is uh, the BAM communities that are um, born in the UK, educated in the UK, and those that maybe may have been born and educated abroad and have come into the UK, um, those experiences can be different. 
and 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 we don't necessarily always pick up on that. Um, it, you know, I'm not I'm not sure whether you could tell on 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 this podcast if you didn't know who I was, what my ethnicity was. You might be able to. There are some clues, perhaps, in my in my accents and and, and my words. Um, but for some people, that's really obvious uh, in, in in terms of their accent, and that can immediately have have an impact on them. One of the moves that may make it make a difference to to racial disparities is uh, a report by Public Health England published uh, on, on June 16th, which delivered seven recommendations on, on protecting BME staff from, from COVID-19, including carrying out uh, risk assessments. Now, this followed a preliminary report published uh, a couple of weeks before, which had been initially criticised by pharmacy bodies for its lack of advice on how to mitigate risks. What do, what do you make of this this second public health England report? It was um, it's it's a long time coming. I think I would uh, I I would say without getting too um, political about it. Uh, but I'm pleased it's been it's been published. I'm I'm pleased it's out there. We just need more pace and and more grip on this issue. Um, I, I welcomed the the seven recommendations. They were all good recommendations. I mean, I would pick out some some of the key areas. Um, the, the first recommendation talked about um, ethnicity data collection and recording, uh, and that's really important. Uh, and we need to just understand what our workforce looks like. Uh, um, and it's very difficult for us to to risk assess if we don't understand the basic constituents of our, of our, of our workforce. Um, so we need much more information um, uh, about, our, about, about our staff. And this also applies to, to professional bodies, uh, such as the RPS. Uh, you know, we need data about the constituents of their, of their membership. Now, once we've got that regular kind of uh, ethnic data, ethnicity data collection and, and recording, and we can monitor that, uh, then we need to start looking at uh, kind of particularly their recommendation three, which is around culturally competent risk assessments. Um, and these need to be kind of um, tailored and appropriate for, for really picking out, teasing out uh, the risks uh, that, that may be apparent uh, um, for, for BAM communities uh, in particular. Um, so some of the things that I might uh, kind of pick up on that you might not ordinarily think of as, as being risk factors, but family life, um, multi-generational households, uh, these are um, more likely to happen in, in, in BAME communities than in other communities. And so therefore we need to be aware of them. And then this is personal information, people don't ordinarily share it, but it is valuable information and that can change the risk profile. Uh, one of the things that I came across in, in one of my other roles just this week uh, was around the number of people who share a a bedroom because in in some BAME communities um, you may have two three people siblings sharing a bedroom uh, um, and and that can be quite common um, and that's a risk factor that we need to be aware of if it, if it impacts um, our workforce and also caring responsibilities and faith implications um, and, and I think we need to really think much broader about the impacts that can happen on our on our on our, on our communities and, and faith um, in general tends to be um, uh, more important in in BAME communities uh, and can have implications around how you live your life, um, whether you have a beard, um, uh, whether you have congregational prayers, um, and and all of these things can impact. Um, uh, the potential risk and also the absence of congregational prayers, for example, could have an impact on the well-being of individuals, and we need to focus on that. Um, one of the areas that I think 
I, I didn't see in the PHE report was around PPE fit, so the fit testing. Um, I've seen some interesting um, discussions around different ethnic face types and um, the masks and how they fit. Um, and there doesn't seem to be enough work ongoing in this space to understand what are the best types of masks for different facial features. Um, and, and this is where quite obviously um, ethnicity can play um, um, a part and, and we need to be thinking about that and, and, and understanding that when we're looking at um, PPE and PPE equipment. Uh, and then within that as well, there are issues around local workforce, which are um, likely to be uh, more BAME than our other workforces and whether or not they have the opportunities to be able to uh, determine the type of work that they do or whether they are simply given work that puts them at greater risk uh, and, and whether or not they are given the same support um, as the employed workforce. Um, um, and, and almost kind of, you, you can see unintentionally that can lead to a greater impact um, on the um, uh, on the BIM community. And, and finally, uh, the, the PHU report talked about how uh, what COVID had done was, was highlight uh, existing health inequalities uh, and some of those were based on racism and bias and structural inequality in the workforce um, and what that meant was that um, some BAME communities uh, were unable to voice their concerns about tasks they were asked to do or were unable to turn down tasks that would put them at greater risk um, and it's important to remember that within the BAME communities you're more likely to have people who may have issues around visas, settled status uh, or paying the NHS surcharge um, and all of these um, factors can put a BAME individual um, in a position of greater vulnerability that they can't say no to their employer, that they have to accept uh, tasks that they, would order, uh, that they wouldn't ordinarily accept uh, or would, would, would challenge, but because they've experienced perhaps racism or bias in the past um, and they feel vulnerable, they're less likely to challenge. And this is documented in, in, in the PHE report and I think is probably at the root of some of our issues uh, in terms of the um, disparity of, of BAME health outcomes. Lots of food for thought there, Mohammed. One of the key parts of the report was account risk assessments in the workplace. Um, what are your workplaces doing to support equality, racial equality? Um, so I have a portfolio career, so I work across a number of different um, organisations. I won't name them here because uh, uh, that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, uh, but what I would say is that what we've done is we've had structures in place uh, and, and systems in place and uh, targets to achieve them. And I've worked with our staff and our teams to deliver them. Um, so uh, in one of my workforce, uh, uh, workplaces, we had a, um, a Teams call with the chief medical officer uh, for our organization uh, with um, uh, um, BAME colleagues and, and, and non-BAME colleagues. Everyone was invited and we went through the data, we went through the issues, we went through a Q&A session that anyone could raise any issue that they had uh, um, with the chief medical officer directly. Uh, and we also have a BAME staff network that's been leading on this and working very closely with management uh, around what the issues may be and how we may address them um, and working in partnership so that we can develop uh, and, and fine tune uh, the the, um, the risk assessments. In another one of my uh, workplaces, we've been actively uh, tracking and monitoring how well we're doing on this, and I'm, and I'm pleased to say that that, that we've, uh, you know, made 
great strides and have nearly covered our entire workforce, BAME workforce, in terms of risk assessments and the wider workforce um, uh, as well, but particularly focusing on, uh, um, on, on BAME because we know that was an area of particular risk for us uh, because of the uh, number of BAME employees the, the organisation had. Um, so we, ha we have been pushing and working hard on this. I think my disappointment around it, probably if I step back a little bit and, and took a more global view, has been it's been left to individual organisations primarily to go and, and, and work on it. And, and there's been much said about individual organisations doing BAME risk assessments. And, and what I'd really like to see uh, would be those risk assessments made available for all organisations as part of the profession's response. Uh, um, it would be wonderful to see um, uh, kind of uh, quality assessed, uh, peer-reviewed BAME risk assessments uh, um, being issued uh, to the profession. So that even if you were um, working in uh, a smaller organization, you were, not you were not able to produce one yourself, you knew you, you, you could use a tool that was fit for purpose. That uh, would be able to be sensitive enough to pick up issues uh, um, for the BAME workforce. And, and for me, that's the change I'd like to see in terms of risk assessments. Really, really impressive to hear that you've ca carried out risk assessments across uh, almost everyone in your in your company. Um, other than other than risk assessments, what can people working in community pharmacy do today to support equality? So th th there are a number of things that um, we can do. First and foremost, um, is we need to talk about it. Uh, we we need to, we need to identify that there is. A problem, and I don't think community pharmacy, as that part of the sector, can do it on its own. It's just, it's just a, such a big problem uh, and an issue. It's, it's, it's far wider than that. And I think it comes down to leadership. It needs to come from leadership from the top of the profession. So our professional bodies, our pharmacy leadership organisations, the pharmacy regulator, the GPHC, uh, the MPA, uh, the big pharmacy chains, all need to be part of this. This needs to be a priority for them all. Um, we need to recognise that in this moment of, of, of COVID-19, of Black Lives Matter, uh, we need to be focusing uh, on, uh, on, on BAME inequalities and particularly on black um, inequalities uh, and be laser focused on that uh, to try and, and, and improve that. Uh, so we need the right tools um, uh, to be able to do this. Uh, I've set out a 10 point plan on, on Twitter a, a few days ago to the RPS and to the president of the RPS uh, uh, around what we could do and how we start having that engagement uh, and, and that uh, process of, of, um, of cre creating a clear strategy on how we go forward. Um, one of my um, concerns has been that uh, the RPS published its um, inclusion uh, um, and diversity strategy just, I think, last week. Um, but nowhere within that strategy does it talk about understanding its membership, uh, that doing a census to understand what the uh, constituency <coughs> of those members is. Nowhere in the in the RPS inclusion uh, and uh, diversity strategy does it talk about its membership um, or its its its, its makeup. Uh, what I'd like to see is that membership data be published. I'd like to see what the gap is between that and uh, uh, and and the profession as a whole, uh, and I'd like to see work done to close those gaps. Um, we need to be open and honest about the issues goes back to the question you we, uh, my answer to the first question that you raised today which is around actually defining the problem uh, what is the issue and how do we address it and what are all the gaps and how can we
take a strategic approach um, to um, addressing them, and we need to stop being defensive about it. Uh, uh, it is uncomfortable to talk about race. I think I think we've we've kind of culturally uh, become uncomfortable talking about race, um, but we need to uh, recognize that discomfort, and we need to start um, addressing it um, to move forward. Um, and I think that's one of the key asks that I have uh, um, of the pharmacy sector, and I would say that we need to move from our current position to actively being anti-racist. It's not enough uh, to just not be racist or be biased. It, we need to do much more than that, and we need to, we need to have a conscious and purposeful uh, um, uh, agenda uh, to act against, um, against bias. And for me, it's important to recognize that um, we're not just talking about <coughs> any one individual. Uh, um, I don't think we have many racist individuals within pharmacy. What I do think we have is a structure and systems that lead to biased racial outcomes. Uh, and that's what we have to address. Um, and so this is why we need anti-racism. Uh, and it's not enough uh, for us just to have um, one or two BAME leaders uh, um, in this space. And we need to recognize that the BAME uh, um, agenda uh, in terms of uh, racial inequalities is so much broader, so much more diverse. It's not one category. Uh, it cuts across all of us uh, in terms of uh, disability, sexual orientation, faith, um, uh, gender. Um, so we need to be working um, on all of that. Um, one of the, I think, traps we've fallen into is that we have kind of bestowed upon a handful of people uh, that they are the representatives of the BAME community uh, and uh, and they speak for the BAME community. I don't speak for the BAME community, I speak of my own experience uh, um, and, and I try to channel um, uh, what I hear from, from elsewhere. Um, but we need to make sure that, that we're not doing that anymore. Uh, and I think it's not about being a nice guy, it's about what each one of us is supporting and what we're doing to inhibit it. And it's really important that we also recognize that BAME people can also be enablers as um, uh, and, and support by systems as much as any white person. Um, so we need to have much more sophisticated discussions about systems rather than people. It's not about individuals and personalities. It's about focusing on the systems uh, and, and how do we correct and improve those systems to remove the bias within them. Everyone needs to be part of the movement towards anti-racism across pharmacy and uh, we need more people to speak of their experiences from the BME community. A, a, a lovely note to end on there. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss, Mohammed? One of the things I just wanted to perhaps touch on was um, uh, the, um, the professional body, the RPS. So I've been a member of the RPS my entire professional career. I'm a fellow of the RPS. I love the RPS. I, um, I, I want it to succeed. It's our professional body too, uh, a leadership body, uh, and I'm proud to be a member. Um, but I've also been really challenging to the RPS. Um, you might recall uh, a few weeks ago, I had an exchange with, with Sandra Gidley, uh, the current uh, president of the RPS. Uh, and at the back of uh, uh, that, Sandra uh, uh, reflected on her responses to me and she apologized publicly. And I think that took great courage. Uh, and, and I really welcome it. And, I, and I'm hoping that that's a, a watershed moment uh, um, for us as, as a professional body to move forward uh, and to try and address these issues. Uh, what I really want to see from the RPS is for them to be less defensive, for them to really listen, for them to reflect, for them to recognize that no one individual 
whether they are BAME or not, speaks for that community, uh, and that they can take a more holistic um, uh, um, approach in terms of the issues that we are facing. Um, I am positive. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I, I think things are getting better. I think they continue to, to get better. But it will take my whole lifetime before they are equal if we just left it as it is. Uh, we have to be anti-racist. We have to be much, much stronger. We have examples that we know to work for organizational change. Uh, so I'd like to see a real commitment to publishing data. I'd like to see a real clear deliverable plan from the RPS as to how they're going to address this. And I'd like them to really root out uh, um, systematic bias wherever it may exist and from whomever it, it may come from. We should look at actions and words, not the sources or individuals. It's not about personalities. It's really about systematic change. Um, and I think that the RPS can do that. Uh, uh, um, and, and the RPS is looking at a governance review. And that once that governance review delivers an improved <coughs> governance framework within the RPS, I think we can begin to see some change. Um, uh, I am hopeful also with um, the recent election of, uh, of Thorin and, um, and Andre to the RPS assembly, which is, you know, there's a new, there's a new people, fresh ideas, um, and ho I'm hopeful that they will bring a new wave of change to the RPS and the way that it tackles issues around racial in uh, inequality and also its own governance. That was Mohammed Hussein. To end the podcast, I wanted to share some positive news for the sector. Pharmacist Addy Williams from Bedminster Pharmacy in Bristol has been photographed by acclaimed photographer Rankin as one of 12 individuals who have played a critical role during the COVID-19 response. The photo of Addy has been blown up on Piccadilly Circus and billboards across the country. If you'd like to share your experience of racism in pharmacies, please respond to the survey on the topic, which is available on our website. CND wants to know how many pharmacy professionals have experienced racism at work so we can campaign together to end racial inequality in the sector for good. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe via iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you.